Hello, and so glad again that you're with us here. Uh, cheers to Jesse, the puppet, and Terry. Um, side note, Jesse is Julia Kochuk. Spoiler, in case anyone is wondering. And uh, <laughs> the crowd gasps. Um, really, really appreciate all their work and Terry for writing the scripts each week and making them meaningful, thoughtful, engaging. We love Jesse. Yes. And I'm going to put my bid in for maybe a personal, like in-person appearance by Jesse. That uh, could be pretty cool. So Jesse, if you're listening, please come to Artisan Church, Japanese Hall. Uh, it's the address, you can Google it. I don't know how you commute to places, but figure it out. Um, welcome again, I'm Scott, one of the pastors with Artisan, and uh, taking us back a few weeks now, um, I wanted to talk about the Olympics. Um, did you watch or follow the Olympics? Were you excited or disheartened, frustrated, maybe just not interested at all? Um, Personally, I, you know, I generally love the Olympics. I mostly love cheering for Canada to beat the US and being married into an American family, this has extra uh, joy when it happens. Doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's great. Um, and sometimes even I'll find myself rooting against the States, no matter what country it is. And my wife will be like, I didn't know you were a fan of Yugoslavian uh, weightlifting. Uh, yes, I am, if they're playing the States or competing against the States. Uh, anyways, that prejudice aside, um, I found it also a little bit hard to fully enter into the celebration of sport this time around. And I think part of it was because the politics seemed to be a bit louder than some of the events and the athletes even. I mean, things like women's volleyball attire, so weird. I don't understand it still. And probably didn't help that I watched, or not watched, I listened to a podcast that talked about kind of inner workings of the uh, International Olympic Committee and some of the corruption and stuff that happens there. And I went down a rabbit trail. But all that aside, and it seems to happen every time, what gets me into the spirit, the Olympic spirit, what allows me to kind of look past these um, Olympic dogma um, and legalism is the stories of the athletes. I mean, they're amazing. Did you catch uh, the story about, and I, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her name, Oksana, the Uzbekistani gymnast? Um, it was amazing. Her eighth Olympics, and to put that in perspective, they happen every four years. She did eight Olympics where she performed, and she made history for being the oldest active female Olympian to compete at 46 years old. Pretty amazing. This whole backstory of raising uh, funds to support her son who has leukemia, just beautiful. Heart-wrenching. And the Japanese skateboarders, did you watch this? The female uh, skaters, and uh, also created history for being the youngest Olympian to receive an Olympic medal at 12 years old. Kokona, amazing. And one of my favorites was the men's high jump. Um, officials told them the race was too close to call, and they agreed. The athlete from Qatar and the athlete with, uh, from Italy, that they could share the gold medal together. 
and it was beautiful. They hugged and embraced, tears flowing, like just a beautiful story. And all that to say, these stories are what helped me to enter into the celebration, um, kind of look past some of the, the political stuff, but still hold those frustrations. And I can't help but see similarities between faith and in church specifically. There's so much to celebrate, so much to be hopeful about. Uh, there's also much to lament and grieve. Can we hold both? Can we, as scripture says, mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who are rejoicing? I like the way the message puts it, 1 Corinthians 12. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. Uh, in our summer series, we've been looking at some of the things that might be required as we re-enter into the physical shared life as a community again, in-person gatherings, small groups, reorienting ourselves toward one another and face-to-face -face actually in the same room. And uh, we're suggesting that we may need a few things. We may need space for lament, confession, and trust. Uh, we may need space for deconstruction and renovation. We may need space for grief and comfort. And what I want to focus a bit on is space for celebration and hope. So a bit of a guiding question for my sermon today is what would it look like to create space for celebration and hope as we come out of the pandemic? And I'm going to say right off the top here that uh, we're probably going to need space for multiple things from this list. It's not like, oh, I'm in this camp or this camp. Uh, I think a lot of us will be all of these things. And then second, um, we're categorizing them into different sermons. But as you'll see, they're certainly all related and dependent on each other. So I want to look at Philippians chapter 4, a familiar passage, Philippians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. Um, interesting fact uh, for those nerds out there. According to the Amazon e-reader stats, um, because they have all that information, this is the most highlighted passage in all of Scripture. Interesting. Not John 3.16, God so loved the world, not the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, but this passage, Philippians 4. I think that's saying something about what people want or need. Let's read it. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A familiar passage, especially if you've been around church, uh, you've probably heard it before. Also, I think one that's been commonly misused and oversimplified um, there's this phrase, this idea, spiritual bypassing, which comes up when we look at this passage. Uh, if you're not familiar with the term, it really just means, uh, Dr. Allison Cook says, 
that we use spiritual concepts and cliches to bypass or avoid dealing with our true feelings. So some examples of spiritual bypassing uh, is like, you don't need to feel depressed. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Or pray more, ask God to take your addiction away. Or you're not lonely, you have Jesus. Um, God forgave you, so you should forgive your abuser. Just turn the other cheek. These are examples of spiritual bypassing. I don't think that Paul, what he's doing here is spiritual bypassing, but I also recognize that me as a pastor saying this is kind of like a member of the IOC saying the Olympics aren't political. Uh, so I get that there's, it's complicated. So how do we get into a deeper understanding and appreciation for Paul's words? Well, I think like my Olympic analogy, we need to discover some of the backstory here. So imagine with me for a minute, this is a letter written specifically to you. And it's from someone you deeply love and admire. Look, it even says a letter from someone you deeply love and admire. Who would that be? In the room here, anyone wanna answer? Who would that, Matt, your husband, oh, maybe a friend or a family member? someone famous or a mentor, someone that's passed on, like Mother Teresa. Did someone say Anne Lamott? <laughs> okay, no, that was just me. <laughs> My celebrity crush just so happens to be a 67-year-old from San Francisco. Um, uh, I actually, and sort of not really, got a letter from Anne Lamott recently. And by letter, I mean email, and by from Anne Lamott, I mean her booking agent. But I inquired about her coming to speak at Artisan. And uh, this is the letter I got. Hi, Scott. I just checked in with Anne. She's so flattered you thought of her. But her schedule, especially on Sundays, is full for the foreseeable future. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for reaching out all the same. Very best, Emily. Now, you might have heard that as disappointment. All I heard was, she's so flattered. Anne Lamott might know my name. She might know who I am. And receiving a letter like that from someone you really love and admire, it means something, doesn't it? It holds some power. And the passage I read from Philippians 4 is helpful to remember that it's a letter. It was part of a letter written to a group of people at a specific time for a specific purpose. It was to a church in ancient Philippi, which is now modern-day Greece, and it was from the Apostle Paul. And there was a deep love and admiration both ways. Paul for the church in Philippi, the Philippians to Paul. Um, the Apostle Paul sometimes is easy to write off. He can be kind of intense. Would, have, would he have been canceled today? Probably. No doubt. Uh, he was very into his faith, very um, moved and impassioned by his mission to plant churches and to share the good news that Christ had come to show us a better way. He was also a suffering servant. The dude went through so much. He wrote this letter, actually, this letter filled with joy and love from prison, and not prisons like we know them today, but harsh, 
dark rooms with chains and often no food. Some of the things you can read about in 2 Corinthians 11 that Paul went through to get letters like this to people, but it says, and I'll just list some of the things that happened to his body. He was imprisoned. He was beat it, beaten countless times, often near death. Uh, 40 lashes minus one, which they believe 40 lashes would kill a man, so 39 was the number for some reason. Beaten with rods, uh, stoned, three times shipwrecked, uh, a night and a day drift at sea, uh, danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, uh, in cold and exposure to the elements. And to top it all off, the daily pressure, he says, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I mean, if that doesn't soften your heart toward him a little bit, I don't know what will. However, something we share with Paul, even though that, that seems kind of like, it's hard to relate to those types of things. Something we relate to him is that he longed to be together with this church. He longed to be in person with them, to gather with them, to be face to face. We had a staff planning day a few days back and uh, just to take time to pray, to prepare and plan for the fall. Um, one of the things we named is how we just long to be with you all. And not just being together with COVID restrictions, but uninhibited singing without masks. Um, one day, hopefully that will happen, but gathering in person. And I, I just can't help but hear Paul's heart here for the Philippian church. He longed to be with them. He longed to worship with them. And like I said, the church in Philippi, they longed for him. They knew because he was in prison, he couldn't work his part-time job as a tent maker. So they sent him money to support him. And this letter is essentially a love letter saying, thank you so much for the support. Thank you for the gift. He says things like, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for. Or I am amply supplied now that I have received from Apro Apaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering. This part too, the brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. It's just filled with personality and love. Read the letter for yourself. It's only four chapters long. And it's kind of cool to read the mail of this ancient relationship. We get to see it today. It's just in our Bibles, on our phones. Philippians 4 is how he ends this love letter. Not in judgment, not in spiritual bypassing, just joy and support. It's a pastoral encouragement to a church that was already rejoicing in the Lord to continue to rejoice. So back to my original question, what would it look like for us today to create space for celebration and hope as we come out of the pandemic. From my experience, you can't just turn on celebration and hope, but you can do things to help. And I think Philippians 4 has some great things uh, and some insight for us today. Um, the first word in this section that we're reading at the end of this letter is rejoice. Say it with me, rejoice. It's kind of fun to say. Also, I think etymologically, I don't know how we got the English word rejoice, but does that mean that there was one time a joyce and there, we had to rejoice? 
So I wonder what the original Joyce was. Anyways, that's a side note. But the, the word in the Greek means to rejoice, to be glad. And it's a celebration. But it's also, there's a second meaning to it, and that is to be well, to thrive. Oh, I love that. And when I read that, I, I, I think immediately it doesn't have to be, you know, celebration doesn't have to be fake praise or positivity turned up to the max. It can even be like Leonard Cohen wrote, a cold and broken hallelujah. Part of being well or thriving for us in this moment, I think, is managing anxiety. So I want to take a minute and talk a little bit about anxiety management. Anxiety is normal, especially today. There's so much mental and emotional angst built up from the pandemic. Isolations, lockdowns, changing of rules constantly, different variants that we're trying to research and understand. And now we're coming back together after being apart and kind of learning what it was like to be in this space now, changing again. There's anxiety there. And on top of that, all of the social anxiety and impact of racism, inequity, um, obviously the discovery of unmarked indigenous graves all across the country, it's been um, a haunting reminder of our country's past. And especially the church's awful part in that. I don't think Paul would be saying, don't worry about all that stuff. Just don't worry, be happy. He actually mentions prayer and gratitude as a practice to help manage these anxieties. So let me explain what I'm saying here. I think a better uh, translation of his uh, passage here would be, don't continue to dwell on anxious thoughts, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you'll be happy to know there's actually some neurological science behind this. According to Dr. Hilary McBride, or as I like to call her, Dr. Hill McBee. <laughs> That's the first time I've called her that. Hi, Hilary. Prayer does some pretty powerful things for us. Prayer does some pretty powerful things for us, is what I meant to say. Uh, specifically, gratitude and prayer that is oriented around Thanksgiving it does something structurally to our brain. Hillary said it actually thickens the networks in our brains that help us build resilience against stress, and it also makes us more empathic. It's pretty cool. The neuroscientific evidence actually shows us that people who practice gratitude and prayers of thanksgiving are more attuned to the suffering of other people and also build up resilience to the pain. So I want to invite us here and now, in this room, in the video, as you're watching, into some anxiety management. Are you with me? Oh yeah. OK, let's do it. So try this with me. Get in a comfortable spot. <sighs> Sorry, Greg. And try, try this with me first. Just first relax and take a breath. Philippians 4 in the message says, let petitions and praises 
shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything come together for good will come and settle you down. A few questions. What are your pressing worries at the moment? Name them. They could be small, they could be big. What are those pressing worries? What are you concerned about? What would it look like to shape these worries into prayers and to let God know your concerns? Then it says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Take another breath. Hmm. What are you thankful for today? Could be the tiniest thing. Ann Voskamp says, when I give thanks for the seemingly microscopic, I make a place for God to grow within me. What are you thankful for? And what are you hopeful for? What are you celebrating? Now I know this is just a kind of a trite a small little way to practice, but it does wonders when you pause, you make a list, those anxieties, those, word, those worries, shape them into prayers, and then name the things you're grateful for. Science proves that it actually does something in our bodies. So I encourage you to take that practice. Expand on it, riff on it, take some time, take an hour, take a hike through the woods. And I pray that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. And by peace, I mean a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good. The end of the letter, he goes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Before we come to the table, I just want to enter into one tiny little celebration, possibly tiny hope as well, and that this is potentially our last home liturgy recording ever. Um, the celebration is that what it means. We won't be doing this anymore. We'll be meeting together. And I know there are some anxieties that come with that, but there's celebration and hope in that too. Um, there's also some celebrations that I want to name here and now in this space. Uh, this thing, this home liturgy, has been kind of a weird and beautiful byproduct of the pandemic. We never planned for it, but kind of adapted and pivoted to worship in this way. And I just feel so grateful for how it has turned out, how it's happened, 
the collaboration that's been involved. I want to thank and celebrate our videographers, Greg Gillespie, who's holding the camera right now. I want to thank Evan Petkaw, Caleb Ford. I want to thank the editors of this home liturgy, Evan Petkaw again, Sean Dykink, Chris Milani, our audio engineer, Jordan Clausen, and uh, really a huge shout out to Chris Milani who helped more than just editing, but kind of producing and making this idea come to life every week. And um, our worship leaders, our preachers, our scripture readers, thank you. Jesse and Terry and Julia. And um, finally, uh, Rebecca. A huge thanks to Rebecca for being just a, a master behind the scenes and doing things like printing off our home liturgy flows every week and nicely putting them on the table so everyone can follow along. Thank you, Rebecca. And I think to name some of the, the hope and celebration is that when we gather together, although it's not gonna be easy or seamless, there's goodness in being together. Way better than through a camera or through a TV. There's nothing that can replace that in-person gathering of the people of God and the church. So I look forward to being with you again. Uh, side note, our next in-person gathering is August 29th. And uh, we look forward to hopefully stepping into weekly rhythms of gathering again on September 12th.